Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for how much you love us. Thank you that you were willing to do, that you were willing to ask of your only Son to do what we cannot do for ourselves, and that's to to make a way through our sin, through our bad choices, through the ways that we walk away from you and be able to have a relationship with you through Jesus. So God, thank you. Thank you for Holy Communion. Thank you for the reminder of what Jesus did for us and also the reminder that he is going to come again. And God, we want to live for you and live for him and be ready for the day that he returns. And it's in his name that we give you thanks. Amen. You may be seated. I have the privilege of introducing to you now a young man named Eric Peer. I met Eric, and he's going to tell you more about this, about two years ago when I uh, was invited to go uh, visit with a church down in Missouri. Somewhere else south is where you're telling me it is, right? 45 minutes east of Kansas City. There you go. And Eric and I have just stayed in touch since, and one of the things that was so impressed upon me at that time was that Eric is called to be someone who shares the gospel of Jesus with the world. And as a congregation, we have, from the beginning, wanted to raise up worship leaders and worshipers. We've wanted to be people of prayer, and we've wanted to be a place that encourages and gives an opportunity for people who God has called to preach to give them a chance to preach and understand what that is and to grow in that craft and that, that gifting. And so... Would you please welcome with me Mr. Eric Peer. Good morning, church. It is an honor and a privilege to be here. Uh, Bear with me. God has a sense of humor, and I started losing my voice two days ago before this big stage. And I said, you know what? That's okay. I can still speak, which means I can still speak God's word. Um, And as I came here, I was thinking I was a guest, and... I was reminded on the first service, um, I've met so many people today, and it bugs me. I don't even remember his name. He, he came up to me and said, remember, we're family. And the day that you all accepted Christ as your Savior means that we are brothers and sisters through Christ. And that bond many times is stronger than flesh and blood because that bond is going to carry us to eternity. So... Thank you for giving me the opportunity, Pastor Steve, to be up here once again. I'm going to get right into it. Um, he said, I'm from Missouri, and do you all know what the providence of God is? If you don't, here's a quick summary. The providence of God is God moving in the background on your behalf. A lot of times you see it. A lot of times you don't see it. Example, we all have road rage. You're going down an old, a road, you're wanting to go 70 miles an hour. There's an old car going right in front of you at 45. You're cursing. You're sinning. But in the meantime, it's God's providence at work. Because if you were going 70 miles an hour, you were going to meet another car around that corner, texting and driving. They swerved near your lane, and you die. But the providence of God had other plans for you. Acts is all about the providence of God, especially chapter 23. And we're going to see that with Paul It's amazing, amazing to see. And yes, I'm from Missouri, and what happened was Pastor Steve was down in Florida, and they were at a conference, and they met my neighbor, Mike. God had this plan. They were at a conference of hundreds hundreds of people, hundreds of people, and God put them together to build a friendship. Well, Mike asked Pastor Steve what he does. And so he told him, 
Well, it just so happens that my friend Mike has a hunting cabin with a, another fellow friend 30 minutes from here. So we're, we're nine hours away, yet all this is coming together. And <clears throat> when Mike comes up for his hunting trips, he comes up and sees Pastor Steve and his family and you guys. Some of you have met him. And so Mike asked Pastor Steve, hey, we have a small church. We're trying to grow it. Would you be willing to come down and share your experiences, your thoughts, and maybe tell us how we can grow our church? I was not a member of this church. I had never met Steve. So Steve says, yeah, sure. But I'm not going to tell you what to do. I will share with you what God did for us. But I'll answer questions, but don't, don't expect me to tell you what to do because that's not my job. And after I heard that right there, I'm like, he's a man of faith. <clears throat> so in this meeting, I didn't talk to Pastor Steve beforehand or during or nothing um, until one point, And Pastor Steve was getting close to being done. And my friend Mike said, Eric, do you have anything to add? I added what I wanted to add. The Holy Spirit was in that room. I started tearing up a little bit. And I said what I said, that's it. Pastor Steve started talking again. And this church, is, let me remind you, this church, they didn't have a pastor. Their pastor retired. So put that in perspective. And so Pastor Steve looks in the room and he goes, there's a pastor in this room. That young man right there is going to be a pastor. Tears, Holy Spirit, weighted down, crunching me. I mean, I'm just filled with emotion. So many were there to witness it. And I went home and I prayed. I prayed, Lord, I know I've always said this, but I really mean it. Work with me. Work in me. Let me do whatever it is that you want me to do. Because he had called me into ministry 12 years before this, or 10 years before this, I apologize. 10 years before this, I was at a low point, and he called me into ministry, and, and I kind of put it in the back of my head. I thought I closed that door on God. <clears throat> and maybe I did. Maybe God was just telling me, hey, you're going to be in ministry eventually. And so then when Pastor Steve came, God said, you're going to be in ministry. This time, it's time. And so a month later, I got invited to preach at this church. I preached. I studied so hard because my biggest fear is teaching God's word incorrectly. And so when I was able to preach God's word and people came up to me and said, I didn't know that. I'm like, wow, they're 30, 40 years older than I am, and they didn't know this. I want to educate people about Jesus. And so I started preaching at this church on and off for about a year. And I thought this was God's calling. God's going to call me to be a preacher at this church. We're going to grow this church into something really cool. Um, we're going to bring in some youth. Uh, it's going to be spectacular. And then I find out that I'm not going to be the pastor of that church. They chose somebody else. And I wasn't mad. I was upset. I was heartbroken because I thought this was God's plan. Well, God was just training me for something else, and I've yet to figure that out. But what I do know is it's still my plan because I prayed, God, I just need answers. And I hadn't talked to Steve since January. No reaching out whatsoever. And Pastor Steve sends me this text message Right after all this happened, no, hey, how are you? Nothing. It's, how would you like to come up and share a message with our family? Show off. <clears throat> it was incredible. I instantly said, yes, let's go, let's do it. 
inside I'm shaking. I'm used to preaching in front of 30 to 60 people. Um, so this was just, I knew it was going to be overwhelming, but you guys have, are awesome. This family is amazing. I've been, I felt so welcome since day one. Some of your family members just opened their home to me and give me, give me a bed to stay since Thursday. And I have not felt like a guest one time. So thank you to all who has made that happen. But back to the providence of God working. I believe the providence of God is why I'm here today. God's working in the background, and he's presenting doors. And some doors are harder to go through than others, but some are easy. And you have to open those doors, bust through them. It's going to be a hard road, but the grass is greener, I promise. Now, I understand you guys are in the book of Acts. Last week's Pastor Steve preached on Acts 22, and he ended right before, or right after um, Paul was hearing, telling his testimony. So I'm going to pick up where he left off. This is chapter 22, verse 24. The commander brought Paul inside and ordered him, lashed with whips to make him confess his crime. He wanted to find out why the crowd had become so furious. Why they tied Paul down to lash him. Paul said to the officer standing there, Is it legal for you to whip a Roman citizen who hasn't even been tried? And that was a mic drop. When the officer heard this, he went to the commander and asked, What are you doing? This is a Roman citizen. So the commander went over and asked Paul, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I certainly am, Paul replied. I am too, the commander muttered, and it cost me plenty. Paul answered, but I am a citizen by birth. The soldiers who were about to interrogate Paul quickly withdrew when they heard he was a Roman citizen. And the commander was frightened because he had ordered him bound and whipped. So when Paul asked this, it stunned them because they had no idea. It is illegal to touch a Roman citizen until proven guilty. You can't interrogate them in any way until they are proven guilty. And when you are a born Roman citizen, you are up here. And if you buy your Roman citizenship, you are down here. You are an inferior citizen compared to the born citizen. And the commander knew this. So that's why he was scared. That's why they all retreated very quickly. <clears throat> Verse 30. And this is where you can tell it's a letter. Verse 30 is almost, you can, you can almost start Acts 23 with Verse 30. The next day, the commander ordered the leading priest into session with the Jewish high council. He wanted to find out what the trouble was all about, so he released Paul to have him stand before them. Chapter 23. Gazing intently at the high council, Paul began, Brothers, I have always lived before God with a clear conscience. Instantly, Ananias, the high priest, commanded those close to Paul to slap him on his mouth. But Paul said to him, God will slap you, you corrupt hypocrite. That's my favorite part. Because we all know that we would have said way worse than that. What kind of judge are you to break the law yourself and order me struck like that? Those standing near Paul said to him, Do you dare insult God's high priest? I'm sorry, brothers. I didn't realize he was the high priest, Paul replied. For the scriptures say, You must not speak evil of any of your rulers. So now, Paul, he's ordered to go and stand in front of the Sanhedrin or the high council. They are the ruling body. And a quick story about Ananias, the guy we're talking about here as the, as the high priest. 
He's a corrupt dude. He is not a good guy at all. He is described by Josephus, a, a respected uh, first century historian, as profane, greedy, and hot-tempered. He's very corrupt. He takes the tithes, and he uses them for bribes and to better himself. So this is the kind of guy we're dealing with. Not good at all. <clears throat> so then Paul, when he began with the word brothers, this is how I speak. This is how a lot of you speak. We're talking with our Christian brothers and, and anybody. We just say brothers. But this, is not what, this was not uh, what you called them. You called them leaders. You called them elders, fathers. You did not call them brothers. It was, it was very disrespectful. But we've got to remember, Paul is standing in a room amongst his peers. He hasn't been here for 20 years. He's done three missionaries since he's been, since he's been here. Um, but he is standing in front of his peers. And he says, brothers, I've always lived before God with a clear conscience. He is not saying he's sinless. He is saying that with the externals in life, I'm blameless. I lived by the law. I practiced the law. I'm blameless. That's all he's saying. He's not saying I'm sinless. Paul's human, and he knows that. And instantly Ananias, the high priest, commanded those to slap him. And Paul said, you hypocrite. <clears throat> but then Paul slowly backs down after he realizes he's the high priest. They say, how dare you insult the high priest? How dare you? And Paul said, I'm sorry. I didn't recognize him. How does Paul not recognize the high priest? Paul used to be a Pharisee. He should know who the high priest is. <clears throat> well, there's three theories. One I think is silly. And the first one is he's being sarcastic. I don't think Paul would have been sarcastic because then he goes on to, to quote scripture. Second, it's been 20 years. They're in an informal meeting. Okay, So it could be that the high priest is dressed down. He's not wearing his high-end robes that he would normally wear. And granted, there's 71 people, 70 Pharisees and Sadducees, and then one high priest, Ananias. There's a bunch of people. <clears throat> and third theory, which is where I tend to believe and many scholars tend to believe, is that Paul had an eye problem. Paul was nearly beaten to death twice already. He's been stoned. He was left for dead. People thought he was dead. Okay? And... Galatians chapter 4, verse 12 through 15, Paul wrote, You did not mistreat me when I first preached to you. Surely you remember that I was sick when I first brought you the good news. But even though my condition tempted you to reject me or turn me away, no. You took me in and cared for me as I was an angel of God or even Christ Jesus himself. Where is that joyful and grateful spirit you felt then? Listen. I am sure you would have taken out your own eyes and given them to me if it had been possible. Why would Paul say that if he didn't have eye problems? Then in chapter 6, it says, see what large letters I write to you. Galatians is a very short letter. So he's talking about his print. So as we dissect the Bible, we can kind of take these hints and piece them together. It's not factual, but take your own opinion on that. That's why I think Paul didn't recognize him. Then he quotes scripture, and he says, you must not speak evil of any of your rulers. Now, this is a touchy subject for us as Christians, because if Paul was to say that about such a cruel and crooked guy, 
I have to say this because I'm on this platform. Where are we as Christians when it comes to the leaderships in our offices today? We can't ignore what scripture we follow. So I have to say it. I'm not going to go down that road. I just have to put it on your hearts. So moving on. Verse 6. Paul realized that some of the members of the high council were Sadducees and some were Pharisees. And he shouted, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, as were my ancestors. And I am on trial because my hope is in the resurrection of the dead. And this divided the council. The Pharisees against the Sadducees. For the Sadducees say, There is no resurrection or angels or spirits. But the Pharisees believe in all of these. So there was a great uproar. Some of the teachers of the religious law who were Pharisees jumped up and began arguing forcefully. We see nothing wrong with him. They just wanted to kill him, see him tortured, and now they're, they're backtracking. They shouted, perhaps a spirit or an angel spoke to him. As the conflict grew more violent, the commander was afraid. They would tear Paul apart. So he ordered his soldiers to go rescue him by force and take him back to the fortress. Paul knew he was not going to get a fair trial. Paul used his head on this next fight. He used his wisdom. He says to himself, hey, Sadducees, Pharisees, they don't believe in the same thing. I'm a former Pharisee. Hey, I'm a Pharisee. I'm a Pharisee. Hey, you know, they're thinking, all right, Pharisee. And he knows that the Sadducees don't believe in anything except for the first five books of Moses. They believe in the Torah. That's it. They don't believe in miracles. They don't believe in the resurrection. And also what the, what the Pharisees do here is when Pastor Steve was preaching last weekend, or yeah, last weekend, he was talking about uh, Paul and his testimony on the Damascus Road. The Pharisees just affirmed that they were paying attention and they listened to him because they said maybe he did see a spirit and an angel spoke to him. Who are we to say otherwise? So this affirms Paul's testimony in chapter 22. <clears throat> Verse 11, that night the Lord appeared to Paul and said, Be encouraged, Paul, just as you have been witness, been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. So Paul's back in prison, and the angel appears, so he's discouraged. We know that the Lord appeared to Paul five different times in the Bible that we know of. So he appeared to him five times, all five times in crisis. Another reminder, Paul is flesh and bone. He's one of us, and God is moving and saying, hey, be encouraged, Paul. You've done a good job here in Jerusalem, but guess what? What have you always wanted to do? You're going to Rome. You know, Paul was just jumping for joy at this point. This is the same prison cell that Peter was in earlier in the book of Acts. Tale of two stories is Peter had the angel appear, chains fell off, gate opened, he was released without setting off a single alarm. That's because God's plan for Peter was outside of prison. Paul, he's here in prison feeling discouraged, going back to Pastor Steve's sermon last week. The what ifs. What if I had just listened to all those voices telling me not to go? The Spirit telling me that chains awaited. But then the Lord appeared to him and said, you're going to Rome, Paul. And so Paul knew that he wasn't a prisoner of chains. He didn't think of it that way. His chains were to furthermore the gospel and the word of Jesus Christ. He just needed reminded. 
So next the plan to kill Paul, verse 12. <clears throat> the next morning a group of Jews got together and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 of them in the conspiracy. They went to the leading priests and elders and told them, We have bound ourselves with an oath to eat nothing until we have killed Paul. So you and the high council should ask the commander to bring Paul back to the council again. Pretend you want to examine his case more fully. We will kill him on the way. But Paul's nephew, his sister's son, heard of their plan and went to the fortress and told Paul. Paul called to one of the Roman officers and said, Take this young man to the commander. He has something important to tell him. So the officer did, explaining, Paul the prisoner called me over and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took his hand, led him aside, and asked. Remember, they don't know anything about Paul, so they're eager to find out. What do you know about Paul? What is it? What do you want to tell me, he said. Paul's nephew told them, some Jews are going to ask you to bring Paul before the high council tomorrow, pretending they want to get some more information, but don't do it. There are more than 40 men hiding along, <clears throat> hiding along the way ready to ambush him. They have vowed not to eat or drink anything until they have killed him. They are ready now, just waiting for your consent. And he said, don't let anyone know you told me this, the commander warned the young man. So hold on a second. This is a wow moment because <clears throat> who the heck is Paul's sister? Who's his nephew? We don't know anything about Paul's family. Yet here, the providence of God working in the background. Paul's nephew is where... He, he's right there. Why is Paul's nephew there? Where is, where's Paul from? Cilicia, why is, his sister, why is his sister there? These are all questions that we'll never know until we get to heaven. But we do know that God was working in the background and placed Paul's nephew there. And then Paul's nephew had the courage to stand up and save Uncle Paul's life. So clearly he still loved Uncle Paul enough to go to save his life. It is said that Paul's family possibly disowned him the day he accepted Jesus Christ. And I say that because in Philippians 3, 8, Paul wrote of having suffered the loss of everything for Christ. I don't know about you all, but my family is everything to me. So whenever he says he suffered the loss of everything for Christ... I'm thinking career and family. So it's a possibility. Then in Timothy, 1 Timothy, verse 4 and 12, <clears throat> chapter 4, verse 12, don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers. Kids in this room, if you can hear me, listen again. Paul wrote of having suffered, I'm sorry, don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers. Paul's nephew had courage. He saved his uncle's life. Then Paul is sent to Caesarea. Then the commander called two of his officers and ordered, get 200 soldiers ready to leave to Caesarea at 9 o'clock tonight. Also take 200 spearmen and 70 mounted troops, provide horses for Paul to ride, and get him safely to Governor Felix. And then he wrote this letter to the governor. From Claudius Lysias to His Excellency Governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by some Jews, and they were about to kill him when I arrived with the troops. When I learned that he was a Roman citizen, I removed him to safety. Then I took him to their high council to try to learn the basis of the accusations against him. I soon discovered the charge was something regarding their religious law 
certainly nothing worthy of imprisonment or death. But when I was informed of a plot to kill him, I immediately sent him on to you. I have told his accusers to bring their charges before you. So that night, 9 o'clock, as ordered, the soldiers took Paul as far as Antipatris. <clears throat> they returned to the fortress the next morning while the mounted troops took him on to Caesarea. When they arrived at Caesarea, they presented Paul in the letter to Governor Felix. He read it and asked Paul what province he was from. Cilicia, he answered. I will hear your case myself when your accusers arrive. The governor told him, then the governor ordered, kept in prison at Herod's headquarters. Governor Felix governed from 52 to 59, AD 52 to 59. And when you picture his role, I want you to think of Pontius Pilate, because that is the same position that Pontius Pilate had. So now Paul is going to begin his journey on, on, this, on this road, and he's going to be on trial for the next couple of years. And he's going to eventually get to Rome that Pastor Steve is going to get to enlighten you guys on. And his road is not easy, but he gets to fulfill what he wants to do. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you once again for, for your word, your encouragement. Lord God, thank you for your, your generosity and your, your grace. And Lord God, we thank you for your blessings, even though we, we are not worthy of anything. Yet you love us anyways. You shed light on us in our darkness. And Lord God, I pray that somebody heard this message today that, that has a door in, in front of them that they just need to walk through. Whether it's hard or easy, Lord, I pray that that somebody in this room walks through that door to glorify you. Lord God, thank you for the beautiful day. Please bless everybody's travels. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Fights around the corners, maybe one up here before we're done. Those folks are there to pray with you, to pray for you. Whatever it is that's going on in your life, celebration, sadness, you're concerned about something, you're worried about a situation that's going on, don't deal with it alone. Bring it to Jesus. That's the whole point that God sent His Son. Uh, these folks will keep everything confidential, won't share it with anybody. I would encourage you to take advantage of that opportunity. we got one more song before we go. Thank you for coming. Have a great week, everybody.